0: The Blast From Our Past Network.
1: Hello and welcome to The Blast From Our Past Podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more. All from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And today we're doing another album review for you. This one is a patron pick uh our patron uh joe joseph garcia picked siamese dream by the smashing pumpkins for his selection mm-hmm. and uh, in a second we're gonna throw it to joseph and let him uh tell, tell us why he picked it but first uh, adam do you have much experience with this album
2: or smashing pumpkins at all um my experience with smashing pumpkins was definitely their singles More than anything else. Mm. Um, I think I do own this album, um, but I'm pretty sure I owned it, you know, maybe in high school. I got it ripped by um, my now stepbrother. I used to pay him very cheap for ripping (laughs) me uh, uh, CDs because his dad had a huge collection and I could pay him very little money and he would burn me a whole bunch of DVDs. And so this was on that list, but I. I didn't go to it often. I don't even know if I've listened to the entire album all the way through besides this listen, but very much, you know, well-known for the Smashing Pumpkins because they're a huge band, you know, being a, a rock fan, a grunge slash alternative rock fan in the 90s, you couldn't get away from them. I, I definitely did enjoy their stuff, and I like their their greatest hits quite a bit, actually.
1: Yeah, and I'm pretty much with you. I, I enjoyed the band. Um, I don't think I owned this album. I definitely think I owned uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, although, to be truth, I rarely listen to that whole album as well. First of all, it's a double album. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. uh, secondly, I was also kind of a just-the-hits guy. Mm-hmm. Um, loved greatest hits, box sets, that sort of thing. Um, I have seen them in concert. Um, great show. Um, it was actually it was a long show, but also they had no opening act, okay. so it was nice because it's just you know a few minutes after the time they're supposed to start, they come out, the whole band plays. It played for like three hours, wow, um, lots of stuff, um, some covers and stuff like that. They still sound great. Billy Corgan's still just as weird as you think he would be. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, and honestly, I think that kind of sells it. So okay. Um very uh thankful to uh Joseph for picking this cuz I think otherwise this album in particular probably would not have have made it on to this show otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um I think probably at best we might have gotten to like a top 10 smashing pumpkin songs. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um and that's something that probably still could happen cuz there's a lot of stuff uh, outside of this album um that are big hits and probably my favorite stuff from them is not on this album. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and not at all to disparage what is on this album, because there's some good songs on here. Um, and since I mentioned it, uh, our patron, uh, Joe Garcia, and if you'd like to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com/blastpasscast and pick a tier that works for you. Uh, he's going to
3: tell us why he picked Siamese Dream. Hey, Adam and John, it's Joseph. Uh, so glad to be a patron of the Blast from Our Past podcast, for which you let us make requests for your episodes. I'd like to submit the Siamese Dream album by Smashing Pumpkins. As a kid, my first exposure to Smashing Pumpkins was in their guest appearance in the 1996 Homer Palooza episode of The Simpsons. I remember the way the animated audience swayed to their song Zero and how it opened my 10-year-old eyes to the more introspective type of rock. I began listening to them obsessively in my early teen years with the Siamese Dream album and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and they were some of my go-to albums when I first got my driver's license. A few years ago, I was lucky enough to see them at Red Rocks where their set list was mostly their greatest hits from the 90s, and it was a transcendent experience. 93's Siamese Dream has some of my favorite songs from one of my favorite rock bands of all time, and it would be great if you guys could discuss it. Speez and thank you. All right.
1: Uh, the album was released on July 27th, 1993. It was recorded at Triclop Studios in Marietta, Georgia.
2: I saw that and I was like, holy crap, a little bit of the uh, suburbs of Atlanta that we kind of yeah. g- really close to where we grew up.
1: Yeah. Weird Weird to think that a, a kind of a seminal uh, grunge album mm-hmm. um, would be <laughs> yeah. recorded in in Marietta of all places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe, I think we've discussed this before, I believe the band is from Chicago. So yeah, they're not so. they're they're not from Seattle, um, but they are. I I still consider them very much part of that sort of grunge alternative scene. They they can kind of blur the lines a little bit between you know grunge alternative and all kind of other sounds as well. But I, still very much I just kind of group them in grunge, just because they they all kind of came out around that same time. Uh, it was put out by late uh, by Virgin Records, and it was produced by Billy Corgan and butch vig yep who is a very important person first of all he's the drummer for the band garbage yep
2: we talked about him uh or way or like one of our first i think maybe our our second album review or third album review. yes
1: because he was the producer of probably the biggest album of the early 90s uh nevermind by nirvana Mm -hmm. and pretty much responsible for how that album sounded um, why it sounded so uh, sort of big and produced because that was the sound he was looking for at the time. And if you've ever listened to any of Garbage's stuff, it totally makes sense now. I like, I, I listen mm-hmm. to how they produce their things, and I'm like, I understand because if you listen to... Um, oh, why did I just blank on uh, Nirvana's first album? Um, Bleach. Bleach. Yeah, if you listen to Bleach and you listen to Nevermind, they sound completely different... Um, and some of it probably did have to do with actually having the money to have more production, but also Butch Vig was just kind of big into that um, as a someone who's kind of studying um, album production and mixing and engineering and stuff like that. Like hearing the crazy things that he did, like he would stack like bass drums in front of bass drums uh, to mic the sound to get a real boomy bass drum sound on the kick and would, like, do weird things. And, and I heard an interview where he, and I, we're kind of getting off a little bit, but it's Butch Vig related. He had to, like, twist Kurt Cobain's arm to get him to double vocals because he Kurt didn't want to double the vocals, but it's kind of a big thing to to do it. And so his his uh, his tactic was to go, well, John Lennon did it. <laughs> and so Kurt, all right, well, then I'll do it. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so that is uh, the Siamese Dream's little information. The band is Billy Corgan on lead vocals and guitars. James Iha as kind of lead guitar, I would say. Darcy Retzky on bass and Jimmy Chamberlain on drums. And the additional personnel, the only kind of person really worth mentioning is on the song Soma. Piano was played by Mike Mills, better known as the bass player for R.E.M. Yep. I saw so that. now I, it kind of makes a makes a little bit of sense as to why Mike Mills was there because if it was being recorded in in Atlanta, you know Mike Mills is probably right there. Yep. To my knowledge, a lot of those guys still live near the Athens, um, Atlanta area. I don't know how true it is. I remember the former drummer for REM famously when he quit went back to farming just outside of Athens. As far as I know, still huh. runs his farm there. Uh, all right, Adam, hit us with some fun facts.
2: Yeah, no problem. So, this album hit number 10 on the Billboard charts. Uh, it did eventually, uh, was certified four times platinum uh, and allegedly, or estimated, over 6 million copies worldwide. Uh, it has since been considered one of the fine, uh, finest alternative rock albums and is widely regarded as one of the greatest albums of the 90s, mm-hmm. um, even. Um, it's uh, From what I read, it sounds like the... Recording sessions were a bit of a shit show. Mm-hmm. So, like, Billy Corgan, as you said, he's he's a weird one. Um, he's also very demanding. He's also very much of a uh, perfectionist where things, you know, he, he I think, um, upset a lot of the bandmates and upset himself at times. Uh, Darcy would lock herself in the bathroom. James wouldn't say anything at all. And Billy would lock himself in the control room. Uh, Corgan often overdubbed Eha's and Retsky's, parts uh with his own playing and he even kind of corgan admitted that there was some truth to the allegations of him him being a little tyrannical behavior at times mm-hmm. um from some of the stuff that got out in the press uh drummer jimmy chamberlain was addicted to heroin at this time and he would often disappear for days going on drug benders and the band <laughs> wouldn't know if he would be alive or not and he'd come back eventually um i think they eventually got him to rehab at some point um uh, yeah. and and uh, even Billy Corgan had a lot of mental issues, issues and depression during this album, um, where he would admit that uh, throughout the recording process he was planning his own suicide. So it's good times, yeah, <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. Um. But the album is pretty universally lauded uh, by music critics. It's it's you know up there. Rolling Stone ranked at number three forty one on their five hundred greatest albums of all time list. Um. And so it's I mean it's a it's a very well-appreciated album but it, there was a lot of insanity and, and madness going into it it sounds like
1: um well i guess we'll uh listen to it and find out if uh all of it was worth it yeah if
2: joseph knows what the fuck he's talking about
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and start this off with a song called cherub rock a choice that they make that i really like is and it seems random is the drum roll at the beginning.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: It seems like it doesn't necessarily need to be there. I mean, yeah. you could start out the song with the da 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 and it would still sound cool. But just two random little rolls and i, and I wonder how that came to be if that was something that they just played around with in the studio or if that was mm-hmm. kind of how they started. But an interesting choice and I've found that to be true of most of Smashing Pumpkins' whole discography is interesting choices yeah. in instrumentation in composition and what honestly probably helps them stand out in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Um it's a cool I like the lick, the little gu- the not the little guitar, the guitar like at the beginning da 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 it's a cool way to build and then I really like I find myself really liking their distorted guitar sound. It sounds super uh, muddy and dirty and yet clean at the same time. It doesn't overtake anything. It definitely sounds kind of very compressed. And I find the sound actually to be part of the appeal is sort of the unique guitar sound and stuff that they've got going on here. And automatically, you can tell for a rock band, Billy Corgan isn't going to sing like any other, you know, singers. He's he spends a lot of time kind of in the lighter, the lighter side of his voice, mm-hmm. almost not whispering, but kind of like he's not pushing himself to be louder. And it gives him a chance to get this great dichotomy of when he does amplify his voice and I know that a lot of people don't like the kind of I guess the easiest way would be like the kind of whiny sound that he has when he he goes high but I think with the way that they write their stuff his voice completely complements their sound Mm -hmm. Um, it helps it helps his voice kind of soar above all the distortion and noise and makes it easy for you to clearly hear him
2: Yeah, um, it does. It also, I mean, not to say uh, their sound is unique, especially how risks they're willing to take and kind of change Mm -hmm. things up. And I do think they give you good story just in their instrumentation and their change of, of, you know, um, tempo and, 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 you know, distortion and all that kind of stuff throughout each song. But his voice and his singing style, I do think really helps set Smashing Pumpkins apart. Mm -hmm. And and I really do appreciate it because, you know, Sometimes I'll, I know I have good friends who cannot tell the difference between like and it, some, especially some of the older STP, you know, it was, oh, wait, is mm. that Pearl Jam or is that some other stuff? And some of that grunge stuff kind of does sound alike. But because um, early Scott uh, uh, Scott Weiland can sound like some other even like Chris Cornell or or um, right uh, or Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder But Billy Corgan. And you're right. The way he has it, almost like a, there's almost a windiness to it, but there is a softness to his yeah. voice even through the hardest of guitar parts. Um, yeah. and so I do appreciate it. And this this song is is fantastic. Um, I've I've always liked Cherub Rock. Yeah, it's one of my. I mean, it would be definitely one of my top ones. It's, again, it's a single. It's one that I knew before this. Um, it hit number seven on the modern rock charts. It was actually nominated for a Grammy Award for the best hard rock performance. So. Um, it was uh, apparently one of the last songs written for the album and the lyrics relate to Corgan's relationship with his perception of the indie rock community and larger media. Which <laughs> totally makes sense. He's not a fan of a lot of that stuff and yeah. others think so he's going to write about it. Yeah, it, it uh, I saw the watch the music video for this one as well and uh, it was fine. It was basically they were in a forest. Uh, the mm-hmm. band was performing in a forest and you know sh- it was shot outside. It was shot on Super 8 film. Uh, some interesting color effects to it and other kind of like some timing things and shutter speed stuff. And just the way it's cut is I think it's interesting. It feels very grunge video to me, um, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense because the director was Kevin Kerslake, or Kerslake. Uh, I think kerslake who directed multiple couple music videos for Soundgarden, Primus, Sonic Youth, Helmet, Nirvana, Mazzy Star, and Stone Temple Pilots.
1: Nice. I, I would not say that... Um... Stone Temple Pilots is known for their videos.
2: Oh, well, isn't uh, Except for one. Is it Interstate one
1: song? Well, that's Stone Temple Pilots. Did I
2: say Stone Temple Pilots? You said, you said Stone Temple P- I P- meant P-
1: Smashing Pumpkins, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think Smashing Pumpkins is known for their uh, music videos, except no. for one. There's one video that I think kind of stands out, and that's 1979. Not, yeah. For some reason, yeah. that video kind of stands out in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you could make an argument for tonight tonight. Sorry, so yeah, it's the only one That's that's, sure that's, to, that's to, another uh, pretty interesting video. All the rest of them have been yeah. just kind of like, eh, they're just okay. But I mean, well, the videos are not what we, makes this band important, so. Well, I've got
2: more commentary on the videos, so too bad, John. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cuz I did I, the research, so I'm gonna oh, I know. tell you. <laughs> I know. And 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 uh and that's what I like. That's why I don't bother watching the videos cuz I know yeah. you're going to. Yes,
2: exactly. I mean, yeah, you do. You do your musical breakdown. I'll do what I know, which is the visual side. Right. A little
1: better. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, quiet down and head to the next song called "Quiet." Lame. I am sleeping. My opinion on this song is a little kind of middle of the road, I guess, is the best way I'm going to say it. It has an interesting sound, but I found the guitar part to be a little too muddied to the point where it was not as easy to follow, and I Mm -hmm. feel like everything was mixed a little too close together, Mm -hmm. and I just kind of found myself experiencing this song as background noise as I was listening to it. Yeah and i had a hard time like hooking in to it as i go um so i like i listened to it and it was over and i kind of went to myself well there was nothing i hated about the song like there wasn't anything that was like god i can't wait till this song is over but there was nothing that was drawing me in to to you know want to explore f- further
2: sure um I, I, for a lot of the stuff that you just said kind of left you feeling meh it got me into it. I don't okay. know. It, it felt... The, I think the mud... Because you're right. You're dead on. It was very muddled. It, things did seem like the guitar was as loud as the vocals. Nothing really stood out. But it just... It sounded like a lot of cacophonous. But I whatever it was, I felt this song fucking rocked. I think the, <laughs> the hard sound to it was really good. The guitar solo on this song was awesome. I thought like... <clears throat> and people had called out the guitar solo on Cherub Rock the guitar solo in quiet fucking 10 times better in my opinion i really okay. liked it um looking at like some of the lyrics i think it might there's some dark shit in there of course it's of course there is, is.
0: <laughs> maybe
2: child abuse stuff maybe something i don't really know but something like that there's some deep seated and dark going on uh but yeah like everything about this one i i exactly but it's for the same reasons you said i'm just like yeah but i dug it i ended up digging mm-hmm. all that stuff
1: well, I mean, it's also possible I probably wasn't in a good mindset. That's p- through I mean, it. Maybe yeah. a second pass will m- make me feel different. Maybe going through it. And like, as I said, nothing about it that uh, made me hate it. Yeah. It just, I, maybe just kind of didn't catch me at the at the time sure. when it when it should have. Sure, sure. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next song, which in probably in my opinion, I think is the song that really put them on the map for the wider audience, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the song today. What I think makes this song work is it is a song of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um, simple, a very simple lick to start us out. Nothing, it's not a crazy lick. It's one, of, it's a pretty easy guitar lick. It's one of the first guitar licks I ever learned. Yeah. Because it's it's pretty easy to learn. Do, 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 and then. Do, do, do. Yeah, seems very simple. The, uh, the you know, distorted guitars kick in and they make it, again, dirty and mm-hmm. big. And then it immediately dies down, you know, uh, the drummer switches to the ride cymbal, which is a small thing, but I think it sort of helps sell the dichotomy, mm-hmm. because when the drummer is really pushing the heavy sound, they don't typically go to the ride cymbal, they go to the hi-hats or, yeah. or crash cymbals, and yeah. he's accentuating all that stuff by switching to the ride cymbal during the verse, which is something that isn't often done. I'm not saying it's never done, it's just not often done, especially in rock. Mm-hmm. and that helps sell a word that I'm probably going to end up using a lot, the dichotomy of this song, mm-hmm. the ups and downs, the heavy and the light. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why the song it was successful, mm-hmm. is it's an interesting
2: song. It, it is. It draws you in. Yeah, and you're right. We will probably use that because they do that frequently throughout this album. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the song's super popular. A hit number four on the modern rock charts is definitely recognized as one of their most well-known and better songs. I think throughout, you know, throughout their time, the song itself seemingly upbeat. You're right. Ups and downs, maybe manic depressive. Definitely depressive at times because (laughs) uh, Corgan wrote this song about a day in which he was having suicidal thoughts. Um, So when you really look at some of the lyrics, you know. He, he even talked about he told Rolling Stone magazine that uh, I was really suicidal. I just thought it was funny to write a song that said today is the greatest day of your life because it can't get any worse, you know, because <laughs> depressed people like that and suicidal people like, well, every day is worse than the one before. So it's like, hey, this is the greatest day of my life right now because I'm not going to have to worry about anything again. Um, yeah, I, I liked uh, particularly Michael Snyder of the San Francisco Chronicle said the song is downright pretty as rock ballads go. Um, But that Corgan manages to convey the exhilaration and tragic release he seeks. So Mm -hmm. it's got ups and downs. It is so, so interesting of a song. Um, But it's got like that. There is that happiest, happy enough feel that like people listen to it and they can cling on to it. I really, Mm -hmm. really like this one Uh, that did, of course, watch the music video. And uh, here you see like it's Billy Corgan in an ice cream truck. He's like an ice cream truck driver going through yeah. almost like the desert. He's kind of like picking up different people who are like the band members and whatnot. Um, it's kind of pretty saturated. Um, he's Apparently Billy Corgan said that the video's plot was inspired by a memory he had of an ice cream truck driver who, upon quitting his job, gave out the rest of his ice cream to the neighborhood children. He was just fucking done and said, <laughs> here, just take all the ice cream, which is pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, it was directed by Stephanie Sedenau. Sedenau, I'm not sure. Uh, she did some other great music videos: "Give It Away" by Red Hot Chili Peppers, "Sleep okay. to Dream" by Fiona Apple, and maybe the maybe her most well known is "Ironic" by Alanis Morissette. The okay. in the car hopping around. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, overall, this is a, this is a fantastic song.
1: Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next song, which I'm going to say I just now noticed. I'm looking at the list. Out of the 13 songs that are on this list. 10 of them are just single word titles I know, yes
2: <laughs> I saw that too, I was like okay, interesting
1: uh, Alright, well, let's go to the next one which is called Hummer It was at this point that I was starting to notice a lot of similarities in mm-hmm. melodic choices and vocal tones in Billy Corgan's
2: yeah singing. his he follows the same ha, 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 that, yeah. whatever it is like he does the same kind of thing every song
1: a lot a lot <laughs> <laughs> and it works but it does get old
2: and you're already four songs in John. we're
1: already four songs in I know Um, and, and a lot of, and the thing is, is I think what helps a lot with them is their willingness to explore other sounds and different styles against what is essentially Billy Corgan's sort of general, Mm -hmm. um, vocal stylings. So, you know, if it, if it was always the same, then it would have gotten jaded a lot faster, I think. And I probably wouldn't have any nice things to (laughs) say uh, Mm -hmm. about the album. This song is very much like quiet to me in that it just existed and there wasn't anything that grabbed me in it.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think this song had a good sound to it. Um, At the end, uh, there was a little bit more of a ethereal feel to it. And I did. Mm. I appreciated that again because they kind of go between like the hard and the soft. Um, and I did like the yeah, I like that quite a bit. But I do agree, particularly that early part. It sounded like I had heard a lot of this song before already, even in just yes. the three previous ones. Uh, it started off with like an almost interesting, almost like a distorted sitar sound right. thing. There's like an Indian type of feel to it. Yeah. Um. Then, then it hit once it hit into like the regular Smashing Pumpkin style. It's like okay, yeah, I definitely know this one. Uh, Corgan said that the song is based on the idea that life is not for those who are happy and content, but for those who are miserable and disenchanted.
1: That's that's the most such... grunge fucking thing I've ever heard in my life.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Very, very Billy Corgan. Uh, but the song itself is fine. It's it's for me. It, but you're right. There's nothing that's making it stand all that much apart.
1: Yeah. Did you ever? Does it? Does it make? I don't know if this. I'm gonna say it doesn't make me feel old because. It's all been to very unfortunate circumstances. Very few of like the big grunge lead singers are still alive.
2: Yeah, oh, I know. I and, lo- they, I... and and a lot of them to suicide. Suicide.
1: Yep. Um, I mean, yeah, or drugs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty pretty much the the only two of the big ones that I can think of that are still around are Eddie Vedder and Even. Billy Corgan. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to well, think I'm, of other yeah, like yeah, yeah.
2: really huge grunge bands. The huge, yeah, exactly. I mean for. You know, if you want to count, uh, holes. What's her face? I try not to. I, I try. hole really I mean, like, was never. Hull had like one or two songs. They weren't one of the huge ones. The no. huge ones were the and, n- and, Nirvana, uh, Alice in Chains. But I mean, Elaine Lane Staley's dead. Yeah, there uh, you Lane Staley. There was another one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of them did die.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lane Staley wasn't the only lead singer, but I mean, he was no. a big part of that sound yes his vocals it was a huge part of that sound because it was very unique yeah um yeah uh, It's kind of it's it's a little sad and depressing uh, <laughs> to think about it but well fuck um, this
2: album is gonna get us real sad
1: <laughs> i know <laughs> thanks billy um all right uh let's go on to the next song which is called rocket Okay, so the guitar here, the way the whole song starts out, sounds kind of similar to a little bit of hummer, a little bit of quiet. Mm-hmm. Yep. But for some reason, the the lick that they've chosen and whatever really hooked me on this one. Um, you're getting a little bit of a kind of southeast uh, Southeast Asian flair uh. in this in the in the like the scale they're using. And I find myself really bobbing my head to this one. I mean, as much as you can bob your head to a grunge song.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I like this one as well. It was the fourth single from the album, hit number 28 on the uh, mainstream rock chart. Um, though it was one of the few singles that did not appear on their Rotten Apples Greatest Hits album. Really? So wasn't included on that, Interesting. Uh, even though it did chart and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, the song is pretty good. I mean, it's not, it's not top of the album for me, no. but it's definitely solid, like, you know, good Smashing Pumpkin sound.
1: Yeah, and I I really think that the the guitar lick in this one really helped sell it to me. Mm-hmm. Was just because it was very interesting and it sounded a, a little bit not too different. Like I said, it was I was it was reminiscent of stuff we'd heard already. Yeah, but for some reason that particular uh, lick just kind of hooked me.
2: Sure. So, uh, Corgan once said about this song, uh, "There's a line from the song Rocket, bleed in your own light, and I want to bleed in my own light." Not in Kurt Cobain's, not in Perry Farrell's. I want to fucking bleed in my own light. Um, That's what I'm about. That's what he said. (laughs) So uh, I did watch the music video, of course, for this one, uh, where it's a group of scientifically like intelligent kids uh, receive an interplanetary broadcast from the Smashing Pumpkins and set out to build a rocket to fly to another planet to see the band perform. Yeah. which is, I mean, it was fine. It, it was a different music video. Sure, they've had three different music videos that all have different feels to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who they did uh, Bincot Stealing by Jane's Addiction. They also mm-hmm. ended up uh, doing the music videos for both uh, 1979 and Tonight Tonight. Oh, okay. Uh, and did uh, were part directors on Freak on a Leash by Korn. And uh, were directors on the film Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, oh wow. That was, that was pretty cool.
1: Uh, I've actually never seen that movie.
2: Oh, it's so good. I've heard heard nothing but good things, but yeah, I haven't haven't seen it. Indie, dark kind of humor, funky stuff. It's weird. It's a weird but awesome movie. Cool. Uh,
1: All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to the next song called Disarm.
0: I used to be.
1: Automatically, the arrangement of the song puts it apart from everything else. We're getting acoustic guitar, we've got yeah. strings, we've got percussion, timpani, uh, uh, chimes, bells tubular or bells, something, yeah. and it doesn't necessarily make it sound grunge, but yet still grunge at the same time, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the reasons why this song and the band, as I've said before, is so successful is their willingness to kind of put themselves out there and do other types of sounds for what they're doing And it's a
2: I think this is a great song I do too Like this is actually one I did not remember it I was like disarm Okay I don't know this one And then once it started going And the, the doo doo, I was like oh yes This yeah. is a classic This mm-hmm. is a fucking Smashing Pumpkins classic And it is It definitely stands out The addition of the strings And the bells and whatnot, a Percussion It adds an epicness To this song
1: I like that epicness That's exactly <laughs> that. That's exactly the feel
2: Yeah It feels um, like an
1: epic tale
2: Hmm. Yeah, it uh, is the third single from the album, hit number 40, 48 on the uh, the Hot one hundred Airplay charts. So this was uh, I think the big, technically the biggest um, charting song from the album. Mm. Uh, Billy Corgan stated that the song reflects the shaky relationship he had with his parents while growing up. So of course about some mm-hmm. troubled, troubled things and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, the, this song, there's they do go in these different directions, and it is really helping me. You know, with only one of the songs so far being like, oh, "Wow, well, this seems a little derivative, you know, when we were talking um, uh, Hummer. Um, mm-hmm. The other ones, even though they do fit fairly, pretty squarely in the grunge alternative style, they all have enough variety that I'm just really liking it. Yeah. Um, the music video, which is mainly black and white and shows the members of the band like over a green screen kind of floating over a house and seeing an old man under an underpass and It's home movie kind of look to it, but it's nothing special. Um, It was directed by Jake Scott, who is the son of Ridley Scott. He directed uh, R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts, uh, Love Spit Loves, Am I Wrong. I'm only mentioning that because that's one of my favorite songs, period. Um, Sound Gardens, Fell on Black Days and "Burned in My Hand, and Lives, Lightning Crashes.
1: Okay. Uh, All right. Let's move on to the next song called Soma. I tell you what, I really like this song because it's a journey. Yeah. It's a journey from beginning to end. It, it, the song grows. It, it kind of goes, it has its, it ups, its ups and downs. And it's, I, if I was the type of person that, uh, got high, I could see myself getting high <laughs> to this song.
2: Sure. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. Um, there's an, I can't remember which one it is later, but I'll mention it. Um, also another kind of journey song, but it is why I like this one. You get the qua- quiet, soft, emotional, and then it kind of comes in hard, distorted about halfway through, just a little over halfway through, and then it kind of backs um, backs down again at the end. And yeah, all right, it is a journey. It's, it's very enjoyable. Uh, apparently, the song was originally called Coma. Uh, Soma itself, though, does refer to the hallucinogenic drug that was featured in uh, the Brave New World. Book by uh Alice okay. Huxley. Yeah. That was one of the ones I had to read in high school. I never had I to think read it. It, I think it was one I actually did read, and I don't remember a damn thing of it, except right. for like Soma being this drug. And there's a lot of allusions to Soma in throughout pop culture and whatnot. Um, but Corgan said the song is based on the idea that a love relationship is almost the same as opium. It slowly puts you to sleep, it soothes you, it gives you the illusion of sureness and security. So uh yeah, I mean the song itself, right journey it's it's a good sit and listen song um mm-hmm. but i i appreciate that yeah uh, all right
1: let's uh, move on to the next one called geek USA <laughs> automatically I'm appreciating the change that we're got from you know we we kind of we came down a little bit with this arm we went down even I feel like even further. even though it got heavy mm. I still feel like we came down a little bit more with soma
3: because um,
1: yeah. it slows down a little bit more yeah
2: it does it does. by the end it does for sure and
1: then it immediately flips around on, at the beginning of uh, geek USA you know drums bring us in da, 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 da. It, yeah everything seems to move faster I'm, okay I'm, I'm 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 moving with it I get it and then that weird drop
2: hits. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Soma was like a uh soft hard soft. This one is a hard soft hard. Right. So it's kind of like complete inverse. And I, I really kind of wish they just took that middle soft part and took it away cuz I was digging the hard part on this one. Right. Like the the begin the beginning, the beginning had me locked in. I was just like, "Yes, yeah. I'm rocking out. I'm really the drums seem to stand out a little bit more on this song." Yeah, I agree. And it, it just whatever it was, it was making you feel very good. And then it went like boom, real ethereal. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, again, journey. I appreciate that, but like, come on, get me back. I was feeling yeah. good.
1: Yeah, it it uh, artistically, I understand the choice, but mm-hmm. like emotionally, it, it was kind of like harshing my buzz, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, well, you're killing it. You're, you're you're killing my buzz. And then you yeah. know, it brings it back, and that's good. But like at that point, it's just like it's it's that it's that waft of it's like when you feel I'm gonna try and make this it's kind of like when you when something happens and you feel that in like adrenaline rush and then you have to feel the adrenaline leave your body mm-hmm. and it's almost depressing like yeah. it just okay. it's like oh, you're coming down off of this adrenaline high and then they try to bring it back up again but then by then you've already lost it yeah. it's like if you just kept me up for the whole time I think it would have made it better so I, I agree artistically I understand it as a choice yeah and like it makes sense but on the other hand like I, we you know we just went through this emotional journey with Soma we just <laughs> yes. want to rock
2: man we yeah, just want exactly. to rock you started me rocking I yeah yeah absolutely um I I, I do like the song a uh, fine I appreciate yeah right appreciate the artistry but like you know you harshed my buzz a little bit and, yeah oh well uh
1: all right well, let's move on to the next one which I I don't know maybe somebody was a big fan of Doug the show Doug who knows
2: Oh, man. Uh, Sure. (laughs) A lot of people had crushes on Patty. I'll tell you that.
1: Uh, And the next song is called Mayonnaise. So oh, this is another one that kind of takes us a little bit of on a, on a, on a journey a little bit. Starts softer, yeah. gets heavier. A couple things. I think if they had not done that, that inverse in Geek USA, it would have been more effective mm-hmm. to just keep me high up. Secondly, I think maybe if they'd spaced Soma and mayonnaise out a little bit more, might have yeah. been a little bit more effective. I like mayonnaise. I think I liked Soma better.
2: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. But I mean, I, yeah, I like them both. You know what? I might okay. put them equal. They're both, you're right. They're both journey songs. Um, it starts off very gentler. Even though when they get the distortion, the tempo is still, I feel, a little bit slower than some of their other ones when they even, like, crank it. Um, the song st- uh, seems to pull from themes of, like, young love that never bloomed, adolescence, uncertainty, growing up, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed the song. I definitely enjoyed the journey I went on. Uh, for, as for the name, from what I read, the band visited Japan in 1992 while touring uh, from their, the Gish right, album their debut tour that they album. had. Yep. Uh, and they noticed that the record company had mistranslated a lyric from Gish. Uh, in the fan booklet, and it said I do not remember exactly what it was supposed to say, but the but the mistranslated lyric was "Mayonnaise Seas," and so they <laughs> used the name Mayonnaise. They thought it was funny and used it as a temporary song title, and then just fucking kept it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much how it went. Nice,
1: nice. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the next one called Space Boy. Here again, I appreciate that we've we've kind of gotten back to that sort of disarm sound—the acoustic mm-hmm. guitar with some strings—and um, it was a fine song. I didn't think there was anything that initially grabbed me. Um, the ending was a little interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, they saying. added a uh, um, a sample of some of a lady talking, and I'm not sure what it was from.
2: Heck yeah, I, I couldn't find. I didn't. I couldn't find it. That yeah, it was. It was.
1: If it was, if it was uh, like some sort of audio that they had taken it from, um, I think she was talking about masturbation. Okay, good
2: something time. like
1: that. Um, the one thing though that I did think was effective, I think the most effective thing about this song was that sample because I felt
2: like it really led well into the next song. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it did. It did. It did. Smooth transition. Um, but yeah, this one, you know. A much quieter song, much slower, but I I did appreciate that, you know, because we got a lot of hard stuff, and so it does have that disarmed feel. Um, Billy Corgan apparently wrote this song for his disabled little brother, Jesse. Okay. It's about my little brother. He's an interesting character. It's kind of about how he's different. He has a physical handicap. It's hard to explain, but he has a rare chromos- uh, chromosome, chromosome disorder, chromosomal disorder or whatever. Um, it gives... It gives him somewhat of a different genetic makeup. He has different physical and mental problems, and yet somehow, by all accounts, you know I'm physici- I'm physically and mentally okay, but I feel our lives are similar. Um, we're freaks of nature, freaks of society. I always keep going back to something by Henry Miller. Uh, no matter how much he smiled, told jokes, shook hands, patted people on the back, people still looked at him funny they still sensed something wasn't right I've always felt that way no matter how I you know normal I appear I was treated differently and I felt differently basically so um, so it's his kind of connection to his own to his own brother that's so, sweet I like that yeah it's sweet I mean I, I I think it's an interesting song but it's not it's not a top level song for me on the album right but it's totally fine
1: yeah uh, all right let's move on to the next one called Silverfuck this song is a silver fuck uh it (laughs) is a talk we've talked about journeys this song is the
2: journey in this This, this, in this album this is the one that i wrote down i was like i remember i wrote down journey and this is definitely the one that i talked about this is definitely a journey style song um not the band but the song itself is a journey um but I actually I, I really liked the beginning the the distortion in the rock was fe- making you feel good mm-hmm. um, you know you get that you know middle I mean, they are following a similar formula with a lot of this stuff right. I realize um, but I am still liking it you know uh and then by the end so it gets you know it's it's harsh it, it's good rock I dug it. it gets very chill and you know kind of ethereal quiet kind of stuff and then comes back rocking and then it's all out distortion and madness by the end yeah Um, and I actually very much like that again yeah the journey stuff I did yeah it was very good does it feel like this would have made a better ending song I can see that I mean I liked their ending song personally I think it fit their style okay well we'll
1: talk about that when we get
2: to it. that would have been the end on the hard, you know because we talk about this end on like a hard note or end on like a quieter note right and they kind of did the quieter note this would have ended on like that just all out madness right so, okay, interesting. Also,
1: it's a it's the longest song on the album.
2: It's 8 yeah. minutes and 43 and seconds. And that usually is reserved for for the final for a yeah. lot of albums we've noticed.
1: Well, they've paired the uh, longest song yeah. on the album right next to the shortest song on the album at 1 minute and 38 seconds, and that is Sweet Sweet.
0: I don't know just
1: I actually like this song, and I wish he had developed it further. Okay. I wish he had actually turned this one into a full song, and maybe one of the other songs they probably could have just gotten rid of, and I'd have been fine with it.
2: Yeah, I can say. I mean, I liked how they had this paired almost right. with Silverfuck. The sound was totally different, too. Yes. Um, and so I very much appreciated them being put back to back. Uh, The song itself was fine, but I think particularly it worked really just well, like in its place in the album. But yeah, Hmm. maybe if they developed it more, I would have liked it better because it was it was nice. It was a sweet almost like a sweet, sweet song. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, you know what? It could have totally been, uh, you know, longer, you know, give it a full two and a half minutes or something. And I would have liked it better better. But it did fit. It still fit really well for me in the album.
1: Okay, fair enough. All right. And that brings us to our final song, which is called Luna. I agree with you that as a final song this does work very very well. This it's very almost ethereal, it's very soft. Mm-hmm. It's sort of against the grain of kind of what we'd heard before and it works. We've we've seen many instances where that sort of going against the grain, ending ending down does work mm-hmm. and I agree it does. Um, yeah. I'm kind of torn <laughs> actually just to whether or not I would want this as the end okay. or Silverfuck as the end. And I, I don't know. I'd have to think about it more.
2: Yeah. I I'd make my case for this one because the themes for this album are a lot about pain and, and depression and things <clears> like that. And I think ending on this, this quieter, this sadder note fits better Okay, um, for me. So, but it is, it's a, it's a pretty song. Um, and I think, yeah, it just kind of fits as it is. The song describes a man who is afraid of love and then he finds love and has to learn to break down his defenses to love her purely, basically, is what I saw and read and kind of got out of this one. But it does have like, yeah, that that quieter, ethereal, you know, chiller vibe. And and just, you know, even though it's a love song, it's still just get that you get that sad kind of notes to it just as his style. And yeah, I liked it. Not a top tier album, top tier one, but I think it uh, it fits fits really well.
1: All right. Well, that's, uh, that's the end of the album. Adam, uh, final thoughts.
2: So, yeah, as I mentioned before, I don't think I had listened to this entire album all the way through. And I'm really glad I did. You know, I found some songs that um, that worked really well for me. Some ones I had kind of forgotten. I didn't even know the names of them, like Disarm. I'm like, wait, that's a huge song. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, Smashing Pumpkins are great and they do journey songs storytelling songs really well and I very much enjoy those type of songs and so those are the ones that you're not gonna get a singles because you need to have like that three minute mm-hmm. simple hit for the radio but like I do you know what every now and then I want to be taken on like a six minute soma journey or whatever or the you know the eight minute um space or no no that's silver fuck. eight minute silver fuck. I want to go on a silver fuck. take me <laughs> take me on a good old silver fuck. Uh, but Yeah, like this was this was an interesting album. There is a lot of similar style, um, uh, but it didn't feel too repetitive. Mm -hmm. Still, I I would say only that one, that number four song Hummer felt derivative where a lot of the other ones still I I was still cool with it. It didn't it didn't it didn't hit me in like a harsh way like some of the other songs and some of the other albums that we had talked about previously talked about. So, yeah, I was very happy with Siamese Dream. Um, I appreciate you, Joseph, for bringing this one back out into the light. And yeah, I dug it. I dug it quite a bit. And I kind of want to dive further because being the singles guy for Smashing Pumpkins, I want to go through because I've got Melancholy mm-hmm. and I've got, you know, I think another one of their albums. And I need to go through and listen. Let I me mean, listen to specifically not the singles. Right. And see what I think.
1: And I'm largely the same. I was mostly singles. I never listened to this album all the way through. I was very much uh, familiar with Cherub Rock and Today and Disarm, um, mm-hmm. and even a little bit with Rocket, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but going through these other ones and some of these sort of journey or songs, I really enjoyed it. I don't know that I would put some of those sort of longer ones in a playlist if I'm because sure. if I'm in a Pumpkins mood, I'm usually in like a hits mood. But I could see myself pulling this album back out and like just kind of wanting to like disappear and melt mm. into the melt into wherever I am and just let the music wash over me and going to Soma and uh silver Fuck and probably even space boy and Luna and some of those mm. and just kind of letting, you know, letting, letting me experience those again when, if I'm in that kind of mood, because sometimes, you know what the, sometimes the best I found, this is just me, but I found that the best uh, cure for being sad is a sad song. Sometimes, like mm-hmm. it's like yeah. steering into the steering into the skid. Um, that's like when I'm angry, I listen to angry songs because I feel like it gets it out of me
2: faster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Joseph, great choice. Glad to actually finally really go through the album. Never really had. I was a Smashing Pumpkins fan, but not to the point where I was you know deep diving into their albums. So mm-hmm. uh, that was our review of Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. Please join us next time as we're joined by patron Stephen Wilhelm to break down the 1997 film Con Air, discuss the Showtime show Dexter, and recast Con Air using Actors of Today. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at Blast Cast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
0: Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back, We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more.
3: Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative.
0: Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then
3: check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found.